Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Are you as awake as I am? Good. No? Let's see. Uh, my name is Jezar Garcia, one of the pastors here. Uh, Pastor John is taking a little bit of a break because he had a knee surgery, so he'll be here with you guys next week. So I would say this, if you're a visitor, so come one more time, because then you got to see the actual pastor, not the replacement that comes up here once in a while. So Pastor John will be here next week, and, uh, um, but I'm very excited about being here. You know, this has been a, a great season in our church, so... Um, you know, getting ready to come here is always a, a fascinating journey for me. So I'm always get really excited to come here and speak to you. So one of the things I have to do a lot of confession when I come here. So one of the things that uh, brings a lot of anxiety for me is airplanes. How many of you guys are get some anxiety? I'm the only one. My goodness. Okay. I get this extremely anxiety. I mean, everything about flying. So it's not just the fact of flying. I mean, when you, get, you have your normal lives and then you get to the airport, it's just crazy. It starts from the airport. Everything is crazy, abnormal. You know, everybody is intense. Everybody is on edge. So, and then I started already creating some anxiety. So I get to, to the airplane, and then I do this ritual every time. So I don't like it. It's something about me not being in control, I guess. So I put a headsets on it, and, and I have this headsets that has noise cancellation, and I just sit in there, and, and I just hope for the best, right? And there's three times that you're going to see there's the seatbelt light on it, right? The light that comes up. So there's three times. So there's one time when you're taking off, so that's predictable. It's part of the thing, right? And then there is a third time. I'm skipping a second one. The third time is when you're landing. So those two times are extremely, extremely predictable. But there is the second time you're in the middle of the flight and the light comes up and you have no idea. They never tell you very often. They don't tell you what is going on. Have you noticed that? So I have headsets on and my wife, if she's next to me, I always take it off and I ask, what's going on? What's going on? So I kind of want to know how I'm going to die, but, but not. So then I put a headset on it, and then if the light comes up, and then I hear, you know, you hear always the, the, the pilot saying something. You have no idea what he's saying. He's usually like, ugh. He always sounds really tired, by the way. <laughs> ugh. This is the pilot here, which you, you're already, oh, my. This is not good. He's already tired. And then he tells something, and then I take it off, and I said, I look at my wife, and I said, what did he say? And she's so patient with me, and she always tells me, nah, it's no big deal, it's this and that. Okay. He didn't say anything. I always hope for some good news. The second light, I always hope for, for a very good news, like they find cash in the plane, and said, guys, huh, this is the pile here. We have a bag full of money, and we have no idea what to do with so I think we're going to split among you guys. It's never, ever, ever good news, the second light. You know, and I feel like the reason I'm saying this to you is, you know, even coming up here, you know, I come on Monday and I'm very nervous and anxious about it. So comes Tuesday, you know, the, the, the week before I come up here, 
and I get those anxieties, you know, and I just feel like, oh, man, what if I go there and have those dreams that I come up here and I have no idea what I'm talking about, which sometimes I don't, but it's part of what I do. So, but I get so nervous, and then, and then it's just this anxiety. And by nature, I'm a very anxious person, you know. And I try to figure that out. So I work on that, and I'm just trying to name it reasons why I get so anxious about a lot of things, my fears and other things that I have. But I feel like, you know, the idea in mid-flight, a lot of us, we go through life, and there's some predictable things that happen in our lives, right? So you go, and then you graduate, you know, and there's some predictable things. And then sometimes there is a second light on the flight, where life has started to happen and you have no idea what's going on. You know, things like uh, maybe, you know, the doctor call and has some bad news. The light, second light goes off. So maybe, you know, the job is at risk or marriage is at risk. There's something's going on in your life that is really hard. Maybe a child that is not responding your calls, and it's not walking with God, and it brings a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. Things are not in control. Whatever the case is, situation is similar to the situation on the plane. You have just to sit and trust. You have nothing else that you can do. We can't control. And the idea is sometimes even in life we think, we think, that we're in control of our lives. When things are doing well, we think that life is in control. Actually, we've never been in control. So, and it's interesting about us as Americans, you know, since I've been living here for 18 years, you know, and I noticed one thing, and I'm part of that, okay? I'm not passing judgment on you, but I'm part of this. We're one of the richest countries in the world. And I grew up in South America, and I can say that we're in one of the richest countries in the world. We have more stuff than any, believe me, and I know this, more stuff than the rest of the world combined. I already told you guys this before. Garages in, in houses, the first time I saw a garage, and then I see cars parked on the outside of the garage, and the garages are full of stuff, makes absolutely no sense for me. But now look at my garage, it's full of stuff. That's what 18 years does to you and five kids. But we have stuff, right? We have cool stuff. We have the ability to do anything we want. Think about it, your career. We can do anything we want when it comes to our career. We have so many options. We can pursue anything that we want. But still, if you think about it, we're, the less, we're less happy than ever before as a nature, as a nation. Unhappy people. Probably the most depressed generation that ever lived. It doesn't take much for you to discover that in your own. One of the most ancient country in the world. And I started thinking about why, you know, and I feel that, okay, maybe I'm pursuing my dreams, I'm in America, okay, why all those anxieties didn't go away? I honestly think that most of us, most of us, after a while, we learn to depend everything in our own power. And we started to forget God. We started to realize that we, you can do it. We're a nation of a can, we can do it. And I think there's a lot of positivity in that. 
that we're self-sufficient in a lot of ways. But the problem is, is when we become self-sufficient when it comes to our relationship with God, that we think what we have, we rely on the trust on our stuff and the things that we have and the comfort life that we have. We push God away from our schools. We became arrogant. And we do that over and over in our lives. You know, it's interesting that a lot of times we, we, we say that about people who are not Christians, that they do that. They push away God. But we do the same thing. I wish it was different. But a lot of times, as we Christians, we, we, we want a God to mold it according to our desires, according to our agendas, according to what we think it's important. We pray to God that he would change to accommodate who we are. What do we do? What do we believe? I, I, I had a, a guy in my uh, dorm when I was in seminary, and, and he would do this thing. And this is what I think about agendas, okay? When we bring our agendas to God, this is what I think it is to God. We have all these desires and these things that we want, and we want a God to accommodate to what we believe how God should act, Okay? So a lot of times, I had this guy in a dorm, and then he would go and use the restroom, and it was really bad. And then he would come in the room, and then he would spray Febreze everywhere. Now, Febreze smell really good, but when we mix with the bad smell, it's really bad. That's what I think agendas are. Our agendas, the gospel is such a good thing. When, when we mix with our me, 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 our selfishness and the things we want, that's how it feels to God. It just stinks. But when things get out of control, we're trying to find reasons and we can't find it. And this is what we do so bad. We started to blame God. I would say this, that the struggles that we have in our lives either put us closer to God or pushes us away. And that's how define our relationship with God. And a lot of times we blame God and we play this thing where if God would do this, if God would do that, life would be different. And then so often, even us as Christians, we started to get in this panic mode and we become very anxious. But in reality for us Christians... When life is out of control, we have a tendency to move closer to God. Isn't that true? When life is out of control, even in the idea of the plane, when things start to get chaotic, everybody's praying on the plane. And for this reason, God gets more done in our lives in the midst of hardships, uncertainties, than when everything is going fine. Think about the moments that your growth with Christ, the times that you got closer to God, it was a time of tension, a time of struggle. Those are the times that really define our relationship with God. We don't learn much when life is doing very well. In fact, we learn more about what are the things we want more we project what we would like. Maybe we would be happier if we have more things. That's what we do when we are comfortable. It's the idea of Christmas when a kid opens a gift 
And then the very next thing he tells you is like he plays for about 10 minutes and he says, what's the next thing I'm going to get? Right? We do that with God when things are doing really well. We started to depend on our own stuff, our own comfort lives. You know, I was talking to my, my, my kids about this. They were doing piano lessons, at, and, and some of them are saying, well, I really don't want to do piano lessons anymore. It used to be so easy. You know, and I tell them, like, that's how you learn because the lessons are hard. And I watch them playing. It's amazing. You know, it's really hard for them to understand. And I feel like behind the scenes, I can see how much they improve in their lives, how much they're better playing piano. But they all think about the struggles, the hardship of playing, of practicing and doing the hard thing. And I don't want to be so hard on the kids. I struggle with that too. You know, I remember, you know, I played soccer as a kid. And I remember one time telling my dad about, I was like, Dad, I'm very disappointed. I was kind of one of those kids that I depend a lot on my uh, uh, natural ability. So I didn't practice hard. I was a good enough kid. Uh, that's good enough. I don't want to run as much as those kids. So I rely on that. And then I remember my dad was always pushing me to do the hard thing. You know, it was like, you got to practice, you got to do better. And I remember coming to him and I was complaining, oh, man, the team did so bad today. You know, my dad was so wise and he would say, son, you won't learn much with games that are very easy. You know, when games are bad, when your team is playing bad and you have struggle, you learn more. In fact, you are probably the one that learned the most today because you're playing really bad. <laughs> so it's a little harsh, but it's true. It's true. We don't learn much from a good game. In fact, we learn more when we are struggling. It's the same in life. When things are fine and we're comfortable with life, we don't learn much about it. And for some of us, as you look in your own life, the time, you know, drift away a little bit. And some things are starting to happen in your life that are not so good. And many of us, as a nation, you know, the reason I brought this up, because I struggle with anxiety. And most Americans, a lot of Americans, they struggle with anxiety as well. And right now, many of us are anxious are concerned about something that is going on in our life or what's going on in our world or you're raising kids to living in this society that you don't agree with most things. It's a lot of things to worry about. You know, I, I recently talked to one of the counselors on one of the schools in town and he's talking about the rating, rating of depression in schools. And the sad thing about it is they, 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 just, they just say the kids come to us, we're trying to help but we tell them there's not much we can do about it. It's just really sad because we Christians, we have the answer. We have the answer. And that's why all this to say, that's why all this to say during uncertain times, the Bible is a place to go and find peace. It's very relevant to us. Why I say this? Because you're going to see in the Bible a lot of stories of tension, a lot of stories of people who are fighting to get it and they're praying really hard. Stories like Joseph that found himself on a pit by thrown by his brothers who are trying to decide, should we kill him or sell him? I mean, you think about your relationship with your family, but you think about your brothers trying to decide to sell you or kill you. 
That's a bad deal. You see stories like that, and even the stories as you read it, you see it in those stories how God is with him. God is with Joseph. And you see the story, many other stories, like the story of Mary as a teenager, and all of a sudden she gets a visit from an angel, and then the angel says to her, hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby, and this is not just a baby. It's a baby conceived by God, and this baby is going to be the Messiah who's going to save the world. See you later. Right? And then she has to deal with all that. We always romanticize those stories, but it's stories of tension. It's stories of hardship. And the Bible is full of uncertainties, parts of people who are struggling with uncertainties, full of stories of God faithfulness in times of uncertainties. Your favor, if you think about your favorite Bible story, it's a story, the best story, it's a story of conflict. Because if, it wasn't a, if, if your favorite story of the Bible is not a story of conflict, it's a boring story. Right? It's stories of, oh no, what's going to happen? Is God going to come through with this? Is God going to help? He's going to show up at the end? And you see it because we have our perspective as a reader. As we're reading the Bible, we see that God is always there. But what for those people? They have those uncertainties. It's the same way. That's why we find that in the Bible. And we, what we're experiencing right now as a nation, and what do you experience in your life, it's pretty much the normal that you see in the Bible. Because according to the Bible, according to the stories that you read in the Bible, we have nothing to be anxious for because God is with us. So then, but the big question brings us to the big question, right? So how do we supposed to do while we're living uncertainties and anxieties and, and those things are real? You know, I remember my mom would say to me, there's nothing to be afraid, son. I was like, yes, there is, mom. Lots of things to be afraid of. But the Bible reminds us where we would find. I mean, we cannot just erase the reality of really what's going on in our lives, and that's not what God wants. And it's realizing what to do in terms of uncertainties. There is answer for that. So there is a passage, Philippians 4, Chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. And we're going to go through this together. But I want to give you a little bit of the background. This is, was written by Paul in the church of Philippi. So it was a small church. And let me talk a little bit about him, okay? So it's very important for you to understand who Paul is. Because if I come here and say those things, we're going to read it. It makes absolutely, it's very not relevant to you. You're going to say, oh, you don't know what I'm going through. You didn't experience enough in life to tell me what's going on, but what makes it so relatable, what Paul has to say, is his background, is what's going on in his life, especially while he's writing this, this book. And let me tell you a, bit, a little bit about Paul. If you don't know about Paul, this is the guy that has an encounter with Christ, and then his life totally changed. And then he, has, he received this call to go to Europe and preach the gospel to people that actually are not considered, they were not Jewish people. So you've got to remember, the Jewish people thought that God was only for them. So Paul gets this call to go to Europe and preach the gospel to them. 
So while he was there, he opened those little churches that he eventually was coming back and forth to visit those churches. But then one thing that he does, he was from Jerusalem, so he goes, goes back to Jerusalem, and he brings a guy who was not Jewish with him. And then as he was in the temple, people were like, why are you doing this? And they, are, they already knew about his fame of preaching the gospel to people who are not Jewish. So they got mad with him, and then the Bible says that a mob comes in and stone him beat him up, and then they thought he was dead. And he walks out of there somehow with no broken bones because he walks out of there. And then eventually they call the police. There's another thing that happened. They call the police. So the Roman Empire, so Roman soldiers come, put him in a boat. And they said, well, and the reason they put him in the boat because he said, well, he said he was a Roman citizen. And they said, well, if you're a Roman citizen, so we're going to send you to Rome. So in the process, they got lost in the sea for two weeks. Imagine this, okay? This guy in the bottom of a boat with chains on a cold, cold boat. Two weeks they're lost. And eventually they experienced shipwrecked. So they got lost. And then three, three, weeks, three months after, so he finally gets to Rome. Meanwhile, when he gets there, he waits for two years to be in trial. While they're thinking about what to do with him, so he writes this book. Now, if you tell your story, and as I read these verses and you say, like, wow, you have no idea what I experienced. Paul does. Paul is one of those guys that if you tell your sappy, sad story, you say, I done it. You have no idea. It's kind of like, have you noticed that when we tell our stories to other people? We do this almost like subconsciously. We're telling a story. Someone tells you how their ankle hurts. And then you say, oh, you have no idea. And you tell your stories to top up, right? Paul will be one of those guys that no matter what kind of story you bring, he was like, you have no idea what I've done, what I've been through. This is why it's so important. For that reason, it's very important because it's extremely hard for us to relate, but if we look into Paul's past and his life as he writes this verse, he's about to be executed, and he writes this verse. And here's what he writes. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. If you tell me how hard life it is, What's going on in your life that you're about to lose your job and your marriage is falling apart, that you got a call that you might going to die, and I tell you this, you punch me in the face. If I live like this and I'll say, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say again, rejoice, it's not enough. It's a very hard concept in the scriptures, especially because here's what we'll do here, okay? If we take out in the Lord... If we take out in the Lord and we say, rejoice on your new job, that's easy. Rejoice on your new car. Rejoice on your new marriage. Rejoice your kids, has a they have a relationship with Christ. That makes it so easy. Rejoice you got promoted. Rejoice you're on vacation in Hawaii. We will rejoice. That's why Paul, when he writes this, he says, in the Lord. 
All of us know how to rejoice in something good. But when circumstances are not for celebration, we will have a hard time. What Paul is saying in this sentence, rejoice always in the Lord, is I want you to spend whatever time is necessary to capture the emotion associated to the fact that God's grace and mercy is enough for you. That's what he's saying. I want you to allow the reality of what God has done for you to sink in and catch up with your emotions. That right now you might not feel in that way, but I want you to understand and remind yourself that His grace is sufficient to you, and because of salvation that you have in Christ, your emotions will catch up eventually. I want you to focus on that so much that you started to feel it. The emotions associated with this great news of your salvation, that the grace God has given to you. And for that, we should rejoice always. Always. And the reason, I would say, the reason this is so hard for us Americans is because, as I said in the beginning, we have so many other things to rejoice, don't we? We got stuff, as I mentioned before. We got status. We got... Uh, maybe our politics demands fulfill our needs, the things that we want in, in, a, in a political area. We have so many things that we put our trust into it, and then we rejoice for that when things are doing really well. And I would argue that most of us, including me, we allow our circumstances to dictate our joy. We are happy, we're excited when things are doing well. But it's very, the Bible is very countercultural. It doesn't make sense. But for us Christians, it should make sense. As our circumstances get harder and we don't get what we want or even what we need, we just don't get excited, do we? We became anxious. I find it very important that we come here and we worship. You know, me and Josh, we talk about it before the service. I know Pastor John does that. We try to, when you come here, I know you bring a lot of stuff, right, in your head. There are things that you have to do or some things are taking your joy. But one of the things that we try to do on purpose here is to bring songs and everything to remind you, to get you sinking in of who God is. And that's why a lot of times we do communion, to remind ourselves the grace of God, to remind ourselves that salvation in God is sufficient to us. It's to us to uh, keep all the distractions and the other things that are bothering us, and we come here and worship and remind ourselves who God is and where he belongs in our relationship. That's why it's so important. So Paul is saying to us, I want you to stop placing your joy in other things, and I want you to start rejoicing only in God and what he has done for you. Even when things are not doing so well, we have to be reminded, rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 5, let your gentleness, I love this, let your gentleness, or kindness, we could translate, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
He talks about struggles, and right after that, he says, let your gentleness, your kindness be evident to all. The Lord is near. What happens when we're struggling and we're anxious? Have you noticed how we become not very nice people to be around? I noticed that, you know, the way I talk to my wife at times, you know, the way I talk to my kids. Or you are in a fast food restaurant, and then people don't, or restaurant or somewhere, and then they don't get what you want or what you deserve, and then you start to yell, and, you know, it affects you, doesn't it? Don't let the hard times to compromise your character. When you're anxious, when you're having hardships, you know, don't do stupid things. Don't we do a lot of stupid things when we're anxious? We do. If we don't watch, we have to take a time and pray. And it's like, okay, what's going on? My wife really knows when I'm anxious, okay? I get very quiet. And it's like a lion ready if you poke it. And I have to watch for that. I really do. We do weird things when we're anxious. This is what happened in our house. I had to ask permission to, to one of my kids to share that story, by the way. So I'm walking in the house, and all of a sudden I see this commotion upstairs. And I see one of my daughters just running back and forth from the bathroom to, to her room. And I'm like, what's going on? And I do like every father does. I'm like, let me see what's going on. No, I just go straight to bed. Don't even ask. I don't know. It, was, it didn't come to me. So I see this commotion and I'm not very perceptive. My wife would tell you this of what's going on. So my daughter's doing this back and forth. And I'm like, okay, it's just my daughter going back and forth. My wife has a different view. Wait, something suspicious. So later on, I found out what really happened. So we tell our kids, it's like, okay, if you clog the toilet, you have to deal with. So she had that pressure in her mind of this. So, and then she, she was trying to be responsible, and she said, okay, I got to take care of this. I can't call my parents, and she's taking care. So what happened was she didn't have a lot of experience. As she was trying to do this, it happened to all of us. The thing started going up, and then you freaked out. Oh, my goodness, it's not going down. It's going up, and the anxiety hits, and then she did like everybody would do, right? She's starting to find things around you put it down by the toilet. She couldn't find anything, and she's freaking out. She's getting anxious, and then she does what everybody does. She takes her clothes off, and she uses her clothes to wipe all the mess, and then she puts on the clothes, and then she walks by the bathroom, and that's the time I see it. So she's crying. You know, we talk to her, but she was so anxious. <laughs> she's laughing. So <laughs> sorry, honey. I love you. So, but when we're anxious, we do stupid stuff because we're not thinking about it. Don't we? We have to watch for that. The verse says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Those are the times to watch what we do. Be careful. And people are watching. Don't be anxious. This is what Paul is saying. Don't be anxious or stress out about anything. Don't be anxious about any stuff. You can fill the blank. Any stuff. Don't be anxious about yourself. A lot of the times when we're anxious, it's something selfish. Sometimes it is. Don't be anxious for anything, any stuff. But again, if you leave that verse right there, 
someone would be mad. Don't tell them that. What I love about the gospel is everything, if you notice that, the gospel never tells you to not do something and live that way. I love about that. When Paul talks about not sinning, he says, but do this instead. The gospel is about replacement. And I love that. Because a lot of times, we, even us pastors, we, we, we get to this habit where we tell you not to do something. And you say, yeah, I know. But the Bible is very clear about replacing with something. So Paul is saying, don't be anxious about anything. But then we have to do something about it. And here's what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, fill the blank, marriage situation, Money situation, job situation, school situation, kids situation, friendship situation, all situations. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We get very confused with this verse. We're trying to simplify Oh, so God is telling me that I have just to come and pray. If the verse would say this, do not be anxious about anything but pray, we would say, I've done that. It's a good start, but that's not what the verse is talking about. In every situation, in petition, this is Paul talking about you really pouring out to God in your knees, in your face, in really telling God your requests. And he talks about thanksgiving. I love this. Think about this. Why he puts here prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Because it's, it, it, it reminds yourself. Okay? It's not to God. Reminds yourself that God can do it. Because he's done that before. I have a group of college that come over. And we're talking about that. More and more, the longer you are as a Christian, longer you know that God will do it. He will rescue. He will comfort. Because you experience that. That's what this verse is talking about. When you pray, when you come before God, when you're on your knees and begging God, and you also have to remind yourself that God has done it before, and he will do it again. And for that reason, be thankful for the things he has done. We all have Stories of how God overcame some kind of fears that we have or some struggles that we have. Every situation. And I love what he says here. And here's what I think it's the key. Present your request to God. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That word means a lot on this text. Because what it means is, it really, it's a Greek word that means reveal to God. It's used in solving a mystery. So when you pray to God, you reveal to God. So what he's saying is, when you come, when you're anxious, you pray and you beg God, you come in your knees, in your face, whatever it is, how you do it, in petition, you remind yourself what God has done for you, and then you present, you review to God, like a mystery that's been hidden, that maybe you don't even know what's bothering you. 
It's to review a mystery. I don't, you know what Paul is saying here is, I don't want you just to pray like, hey God, I, I just feel lonely. God, give me a job that I need that I feel happy. God, help with my kids that they should start communicating back to me. God, the doctor call. Those are good starts. But Paul wants you to understand for yourself and then review to God what really, 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 really is bothering you. The reason, the deepest level of your worry. Because a lot of times when we're anxious, we only hit the top. But there's a lot of deep things that needs to surface. And you won't know that until you pray to God and you beg and you talk to God and you say, God, this is really what's bothering me. It's the deepest level, the intimate level. What is driving that request that you're praying to God? The proper, here's the key, the proper response in times of anxiety, times of uncertainty, is when you go deep with God and review to God really the reason why you're so anxious what really is causing anxiety. I have a confession to make. You know, some of the things, personally, this is the, some of the things that I, I've been praying about, and I pray for this quite often. You know, and I pray, God, uh, you know, protect my kids. Every night, I pray for that. Protect my kids. God, help me to have money in my bank account. God, help me to do my job well here at church. Those are legit requests. It's a good start. But really, when you pass, when I pass those legit requests, and I found real reasons of my prayer requests, what's causing anxiety, here's what I find. When I go deep, here's what I find. I'm praying because security or insecurity my concern for my family in this world, my need to feel important, my need to be viewed certain ways by my peers. That's really what's in the bottom that needs to surface in my life. My view, my need to be viewed certain ways by my kids, my view, my fear that perhaps I'm not that important to God. Those are the deep things that are in my heart that drives my prayers that sometimes come so superficial. God, help me to find my keys. Those are good prayers. Or God, help me to have a good day. Those are good prayers. But really, what do you really want? What's really deep? And here's what the, the, the consequently, when you pray that way, when you come before God and really review to God what's really bothering you, here's what happened. Here's the result. Verse 7. And the peace of God. And the peace of God. Not the peace on the circumstances. It's the peace of God. Not the peace on the things. Not the peace that the fact that our kids are safe. Not because you have a job. Not because your favorite candidate president is in charge. That's the peace of the world. 
that's based on the circumstances of your life. That's not what's talking about. It's the peace of God. And here's what's cool about this, which transcends all understanding. You know what that means? When you have a really bad day and then things are falling apart and you're still smiling. Not in a fake way. Because you have other reasons to celebrate. You have other reasons to have joy. Because you have the peace of the Lord in you. Non-circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances. I was reminded of that this week. You know, I was having a, happy, a very great day. We went to the lake and I'm driving my car. And all of a sudden I hit a railroad. And the transition between the road and destroy my, the rim of my car. Okay? I was bothered by that. Like, and then I'm like, you know what? I, have to, I was really mad. I was very short. I was just, then I have to say, you know what? It's just a car. And guess what? Here's how blessed I am. I got the other car that we have. It's perspective. God is so good. He's so good. And the peace of God, and I'll finish with this, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? God is really close. God is really close. And that's what Paul is challenging us. I'll take care of you. I'll guard your heart. I'll watch over you. I haven't been gone anywhere. I'm here. In times of uncertainty, Paul, the prisoner, will tell you this. In times of uncertainty, we pray until the peace of God comes. And that's the challenge that we all have. C.S. Lewis wrote this. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. That's what a prayer, an intimate prayer, when you come before God, when you beg God, when you come down and you remind yourself of the things he has done, the prayer changes you, not God. And in the very end of the passage, he, he writes this. I know this is the prisoner. Have that in mind when you listen to this. Verse 12, I know what is to be in need. I know what is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Who gives me strength. The peace of God. The peace of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, for life. We thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for salvation that we have in you. And for that reason, we rejoice always. And in times of anxiety and in times that we don't know what's bothering us, help us to come before you and reveal to you what's really deep in our hearts. And we know that what we're going to get in return is your peace. Help us. Help us to find your peace, not the peace of the world, not the peace of the circumstances. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.